welcome to the QP Diaries podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring and empowering the next generation of QP professionals and future quality assurance leaders in the UK pharmaceutical industry. On every episode, I'll be speaking to QPs from across the industry and our listeners will have the opportunity to hear their stories, their expertise, and we'll be discussing topics to foster growth and learning to help you develop your career as a qualified person. If you're passionate about quality assurance and want to learn from some of the very best QPs and thought leaders from across the industry, then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Dalpawa, the founder of Assure Bio, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Mukesh, welcome to the QP Diaries podcast. How are you today? Ah, oh, very well. Thank you for your invite. I'm absolutely um, delighted to join you on this uh, podcast. Yeah, brilliant. No, thank you for agreeing to be a guest. Um, I mean, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. We actually saw each other in person yesterday at the conference talking about the future of quality. So that, that, that was pretty insightful. And now today we're going to be covering your past, the present, and also your thoughts on the future as well. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation and hearing more about your career journey and your experiences as a QP. Yeah. Thank you, Dal. So just if I start first with my career. So yeah. It's quite um, varied, and it's not a typical QP career path. So I started uh, from a from being a teenager, actually wanting to be a scientist, and everything was like driven around doing that. I ended up doing a chemistry degree at Leeds University. Uh, I did research in organometallic chemistry as an undergrad. Had papers published. At this point, I realized it is not uh, just pure science that I wanted to do. And after the undergrad degree, I joined um, industry in ag- agrochemicals, briefly worked for a, as a research and development scientist, and then moved uh, into procurement. Now, the move to procurement is somewhat unusual, but when I reflect back, it's actually not. I grew up in a family business, so business was relatively a uh, natural thing for me. From Agcam, I then moved into FMCG, something all which we'll know is Mars Inc. There, a lot of my base career was pretty much set up. So having done procurement for a few years, I then uh, worked on a pharmaceutical projects and worked in reg affairs, quality, supply chain, and everything else that went with it. After FMCG, uh, more by accident, uh, joined an artwork studio where I was global head for all the sites, just second biggest artwork studio um, globally. After that, around 2006, I set up my own consultancy, ComQP Limited, and I have uh, eight associates, consultants, and six of us are eligible RPs. Yeah. Within ComQP, we do uh, the usual services around QA, et cetera. In terms of my training and background, for me, that's a really important aspect. Throughout my career, I've always supplemented my work with some professional learning and qualification. And that ranges from doing chart buying exams, so I'm um, MSIPs, uh, and that was 13 exams. I did QP as well, which was 13 modules, 
leadership course at Imperial College not too long ago, Dale Carnegie, lead all the and such. So for me, that learning aspect and development throughout your career is actually a very important element. So that's broadly uh, my background uh, as a QP. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Mukesh. When did you qualify as a QP? Uh, Jam 2006. 2006. Okay. Yeah. So you got a wealth, yeah. wealth of experience. So yesterday brought back a lot of memories. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. No, yeah. yesterday brought back a lot of memories. It was exactly that venue, Royal Society of Chemistry, yeah. where yeah. I had the viva. Yeah, I think a, a couple of the speakers mentioned that, didn't they, where they probably walked in however many years ago, sort of shaking with nerves, and uh, now they're up on stage yeah. and presenting about the future of quality. So, <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure for yourself, yeah, it, it, was, it was quite a memorable um, experience. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And uh, I suppose in, in terms of your career, you, you probably had a bit of a different path into the pharmaceutical world. I mean, so I suppose what inspired you to get involved in the pharmaceutical industry? And I, I suppose what, what drives your passion? Um, I think I think the biggest uh, trigger really was the Mars project. So at that time, I was working in procurement, a senior director said, right, we want to create a veterinary medicines business. And the remit of that business was actually quite simple. Combine Mars expertise in terms of palatability with medicine. Now, the thing is, so they had a very clear vision of what they wanted to do. So it was a unique, would have been a unique product range. What the unknowns were, were around what, med what is medicine legislation, what does a company need to do? So at that time, I was selected with three other guys, four of us actually, in total. And we were all like 20-somethings. And it was a really exciting time because we were picked not for specialist skills, but for transferable skills. And essentially, we were told, as a group, we'd be able to uh, do what we needed to, to create this business. And we had access to a little, uh, number of consultants as well. So when we started with the idea, we looked at licensed products, non-licensed products, so created our own product range. Then looked at licensing to say, right, okay, how do we get an MIA or manufacturing yeah. authorization as it was known? Built a facility, got that approved for MHRA, which was a big thing, considering our knowledge base was actually quite low at the time. Then we partnered with a number of big manufacturers and then set up marketing authorizations. Now, this was a really big challenge because VMD had never seen such a product. So it was actually very difficult for them uh, to be able to uh, approve our products without that standard format being followed. So during that time, I think having that small team uh, working with me, we did right from recruitment, running training courses, getting the site approved, essentially running our own business. Through that, I learned so much in that period because right from concept of our idea of a product right yeah. to, to being on the shelf, we did all of that. So that essentially, that was my entry and inspiration within Pharma. And I think having that 
knowledge that we're making a difference. So product we bought in was genuinely unique. There was a lot of um, uh, a lot of people that were against it because they didn't think it would ever fly. And that just made us much more resolute as a team to making sure we made that project work. And ultimately we did get a product license. So it was a yeah. Worma product. Um, I actually have, I think it's probably only one pack, but this is it. No bad. <laughs> but we're involved in branding in this. So that's what it is. Very unique. So it's not a tablet, but it's a unique product. And like I said, that little small team basically bought that from idea to actual product on the shelf. Oh, wow. Yeah, so literally I from the inception of, of the product as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think looking at all the supply chain challenges, getting uh, non-pharmaceutical suppliers to be pharmaceutical grade, that was quite difficult. Persuading the regulator to say it's a safe, effective product, for them that was quite a challenge because we've never seen this. So I think that from a farmer, uh, interest perspective uh, was my real entry point. I think the other thing is this very much fits with my personal values. I've always wanted to do something that's a bit challenging, a bit different, and didn't like try and break the status quo. And having that unique experience, I think for me was very valuable. So do you believe that that project that you were working on really set you up to develop your career and accelerate your career in a way? Oh, very much so. Because what it did was it gave me insight into essentially every area. So I didn't have necessarily depth knowledge, but I had breadth. So working with yeah. the marketing guys, for example, was new for me, creating a new brand. I didn't know how a brand is created. I learned about that. We even went, when we launched, we actually went to supermarkets uh, and we actually sold the product. And then speaking to consumers, we had it uh, launched at Crofts as well. So speaking with consumers and all that part for me was very interesting. It's not typically what, um, say, a QPQA guy would ever do. Working with their manufacturing team, uh, running training courses. We created our own training courses as well. So yeah. it was a very... Looking back, very rich experience. Yeah. And I suppose from that, is that, I suppose, yeah, built your passion for quality and then to then relate that to get the QP eligibility and then drive your career forward. I mean, it sounds like you really sort of expedited your career path um, at, that, at that point. And was it thereafter when you left and then you'd be set up the your own consultancy? Yeah, to be honest, I probably would have still been working as a Mars QP. Right. Okay. Uh, because I actually really liked what we were doing. Mars is very entrepreneurial. Uh, it's a very driven company. And the values Mars, that company has to what I have are very similar. Yeah. Um, thing is that uh, Mars leadership changed. They didn't want to be in licensed medicinals. Yeah. As a result, for me, there was no everything I basically worked towards was not there. So it was after that, essentially set up for myself. Yeah. And that's okay. been what, about 17 years yeah. ago. 
So it's, it's been a long time then that you've had the consultancy. And as you mentioned earlier, you've built, you've built a team now. Can, can you share some of your yeah. achievements, successes, stories of, of, of what you've been doing over, over the last number of years with your team? Yeah, I think more on a personal basis. Um, as a QP, my u unique area to an extent is artwork origination. And that was straight after my Mars role because I enjoyed having setting this business up. I was approached by a company to say, can you set up a GMP artwork studio? Now, nobody really know, knew what that meant. I spoke with the MHRA, and even there, they weren't as clear. So when I took the role, essentially I created um, a GMP guide for myself. I took legislation from EU GMP, US regulations, PQG guidance, GAMP5 guidance, and such. Now, during that time, um, I realized this was an area that is totally neglected. So as QPs, it's very much like a black hole area. We know it's important, but we don't really know necessarily the detail. And to be honest, I only got to learn this when I was working or overseeing that studio. Now, you probably are not aware, but the majority of product defects and recalls in the UK are artwork regeneration related. I did a study in 2020, 39% were artwork origination, which is staggering, one in three. Now, that's not um, a flash in the pan figure, because I did a similar study around 2009, 2008, 2009 time, and even then it was 20%. Now, I'm not talking about packaging. Packaging figure, if you include artwork, is actually quite a bit higher. Um, so during that time, I, try, I actually built up a lot of specialism and expertise in this area. I audited um, 14 artwork studios in US, the UK, and throughout Europe as well. Majority of cases found there were significant gaps between what farmer industry needed and what they typically tended to have. Uh, other areas I worked in related to artwork were around... Um, artwork systems implementation. Now, again, that wasn't straightforward because now we have aspects of Annex 11, Annex 50, some computerized systems, qualification validation that come into this as well. Yeah. And getting these projects right is very important in making sure some of the risks are mitigated. Yeah. So one of the things I would say to these listening is, Know your risk. So, or have your artwork studios audited. Make sure you're auditing yourselves so you understand what the risks are. Because no QP ever wants to be overseeing a product recall. And when we look at the examples, they are really, really simple little errors that carry through and end up having incorrect information on a pack. I mean, certain examples would be things like, say, uh, missing implementation timelines or safety information not being updated. Some cases, one example I saw, artwork where it just gets, packs get do, um, changed on a base template 
they got the strength wrong. The strength would have been like 100 times more than what was actually in the tablet product itself. So as QPs, this is all part of our GMP remit anyway. So it's very much worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, so there, there are obviously a, well, a huge amount of potential risks if you're not obviously on top of the artwork challenges. And you mentioned that it's a bit of a black box area. However, to prevent yeah. any issues, you've mentioned internal auditing. So what, what advice around the auditing? How often, how frequent should a QP be auditing? Um, I would do it straight out. Just to give you an example of context. So when I was actually working with the Artwork Studio, I would host a number of audits from big pharma companies. And majority of the time they'd come in and they would ask the wrong questions. They'd be very, it'd be very superficial. And there'd be like big risks that they would very much miss. So all I'd do is make sure that when you have when you're doing these audits, have appropriately qualified people. And that's a combination of qualified auditor, somebody said from artwork, and also say a QP as well. Have that um, team together that's got very much a, a robust audit uh, plan defined beforehand. Going back to your point about frequency, I'd say do it straight away as in like it should be done at least once based upon what risks are identified from that determine how often the studio should be audited right okay some yeah. other information that can be added in do you know any deviations issues that companies pick up that are artwork related i mean that again is good examples or triggers for doing an artwork audit studio uh artwork studio audit the reason I said this is not how all studios are necessarily conversant with GMP. If I give a real example, one studio I looked at, their main measure was speed of turning around an artwork. If it was incorrect, it didn't matter to them because that was not their measure. For them, it was speed, but they were supplying to the food industry. Now, you think about for our industry, that's grossly unacceptable. I mean, you can afford a delay, but you can't have, say, errors in text, for example. So no one recognised the different risks. Yeah, so I suppose in, in terms of prevention, as you say, immediate, immediate audit, assess the potential risks, and obviously from there, then obviously put, put the plan together to prevent any further issues in the future. And uh, I think you touched upon obviously yeah. the, the training of the individuals as well within the teams, uh, within the organizations. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a really interesting point. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's probably one area which no one really talks about and the, the importance of artwork. So, no, th thanks for sharing that, Mukesh. And uh, I suppose bringing it to the future, just like we were focusing on yesterday. The future of quality and i think in terms of the the qp diaries it is essentially to give that advice to trainee qps junior qps the, the thought leaders for the future as well um 
what what would be your best advice that you would give uh, to this category of individuals? Yeah, there's um there's a few points I'd like to go through. Um, first one will be the importance of what I would class as lifelong learning and in like continual professional development. To me, this cannot and should not be underestimated. For any QP to be effective, they really need to be continually educating themselves. I think that's a really important part. If we look at, say, some of the changes coming up, which are going to have a big impact on our profession, are things like, say, the uh, application of AI. And when we talked about, um, talked about, say, how, how is a system that uses AI going to be validated? That's going to be a very key part. So we'd need to make sure we're upskilled and knowledgeable in these areas. So for me, change is very much expected, inevitable. Enjoy it and make sure that you're properly trained and educated to manage it. So that's one point. Second is, is more something that I picked up over the years, is the importance of a professional QP network. That is increasingly more valuable because if I look at the number of people we had in industry before, industry generally was quite well resourced with people. Today, it's not. So to have access to a lot of uh, SMEs, I think to have that professional network is very important. So to me, time and energy should be spent developing that network because that network in itself is very, very useful. And that can be done through, say, training courses, or it may be conferences or dinner meetings or such. That network should not be just restricted to external. Internal network is very important as well, you know, with the different departments. And any time spent there, to me, contributes towards preventive action. Oh, sorry, preventing uh, issues. What I mean by that is having, say, good working relationships with, say, production, say, marketing, regulatory, knowing what changes are coming up, anticipating them, will then help ensure there's no dinner like last minute bits of work that need to be done. If we look at QPs typically, they tend to be, or often taught to be, very much try to push everything to black and white, where it's a yes or no answer. To me, that has to be that has to change. To be an effective QP, you need to be a problem solver, not just you know somebody go gives a yes or no answer. That to me is a recognition of the way industry is changing. We look, we have a lot more smaller companies, very agile companies. And they can't afford to have just like an SME QP. I'm not saying necessarily QP is a problem solver, but they should facilitate that. And often they may be able to use other people within their networks to help provide some of these solutions. Other areas are around, say, leadership. As QPs, we're taught well in technical aspects. 
for me, one area that is somewhat lacking and often neglected is around leadership. Often what we see is we see trainee QPs, they'll go through an extensive training course, be qualified, and before they know it, they're probably heading up a department and a team of uh, other QA personnel. They won't necessarily have had the management and leadership training to be able to deliver the, um, the uh, activities to a good level. So for me, develop that skill in parallel. And I would advise having coaches or mentors, and I mean both serve a different purpose, to be able to uh, develop, personally develop that way. And the last point that we put down is around a recognition of business needs. So I think as a QP, let's go beyond compliance. We need to make sure businesses are efficient, you know, in order to be able to operate long term. Compliance is absolute given, but efficiency, to me, a QP can contribute towards. What I mean by that is, if we look at say some of the requirements around ICHQ10 and continual improvement, as QPs we can influence some of that. Bring in practices that will contribute towards the effectiveness of a business's performance. Um, I think long gone are the days where a QP is just purely seen as a batch releaser and signing off. To me, that's a zero value contribution a QP is making, even though it's a basic legal. So I think we need to be looking much, much wider. So I think to summarize for training QPs, look at on self-development, look at how you contribute effectively towards business, develop yourself as uh, leaders, be problem solvers, and develop that network that you have to be able to fulfill your role effectively. I think as QPs, I think we hold a very privileged role, and I think it's one that's a great role because it allows us to work in so many areas and also very much make a meaningful difference to our patients. So I actually love what I do, and I would never trade that for anything else. Absolutely, yeah, and you you can see that just from the the advice that you listed off there in terms of uh, what an individual should be doing to, to to expand their knowledge base, essentially. And I, I think you're right in terms of it. It's it's a privileged role, it's a well respected role, but there's also huge opportunity to develop a career very quickly. Yeah. But I think you're right though in terms of okay, self development, networking, getting coached mentored into leadership uh, can can really add so much value to someone with a QP eligibility yeah 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 and Brilliant. I think right now I think it is a fantastic time to be a QP there is so yeah. many opportunities with all yeah. the changes coming in I think for people have the right mindset and drive I think we essentially world's your oyster and I think uh, yesterday sort of touched upon the, the changes which are coming up. And I suppose what, what are your predictions for the future of quality assurance? I mean, 
the, the, the role of a QP, how will that evolve in the coming years you know, from your perspective? I think there'll be a bigger push towards you know, um, lean and efficiency. I think we should look to other industries where they do quality differently and well. So if we look at, say, uh, automotives, there's aspects of that that we can bring in. We looked at, and I know I think you have other podcasts coming up around to AI. That will yeah. have a significant impact around um, what QP does as well. So to me, I think a lot of the changes that are coming up will be technology-based. And I think the more role will be much more where the QP's remit will be wider. Because QP's are very well trained, have a very wide breadth of experience, I think they'll expect to leverage that a little bit more. Batteries will probably become simpler with uh, the aid of AI. Yeah. So they'll be able to spend more time doing other value add aspects. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the utilization of artificial intelligence will probably play a, a huge part in, in the role of a QP and yeah, reducing the time for the batch certification, essentially releasing more medicines to the market and solving the drug shortages sort of issues as well um, that, that we're seeing at the moment. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Excellent, Mukesh. Yeah, no, well, thank, well, thank you so much for all of your words of wisdom today and talking about your career and I suppose how you've got to this point. Um, you, you've been a great guest on the QP Diaries. If any of our listeners want to contact you about your services or this consultancy, um, can they reach out via LinkedIn? Oh, yeah, yeah, LinkedIn would be, yeah, that's um, that'd be more than ample. Or they could go onto my company website, just yeah. uh, ComQP. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, you, your details will be shared anyway uh, from this. But uh, no, thank you so much. Appreciate your time and enjoy the rest of your day, Mukesh. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Dal. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. A huge thank you to our special guest and to our listeners for tuning into the QP Diaries podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. As the founder of Assured Bio, we created the podcast to support the, our wider quality assurance community, which aligns to our dedicated offering as a recruitment agency, providing services to the pharmaceutical and biotech industry across the UK. We have over 15 years experience in the industry, exclusively focused on recruiting senior quality assurance leaders and QPs. If you want to learn more about Assured Bio's recruitment services, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, then please don't hesitate to contact me. Thank you.